0: Friends, would you open with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 13 and 14 of this first chapter. Hear now God's word. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's pray together. Indeed, Lord, this is to the praise of your glory. We have the Spirit. He is our pledge and our seal. He dwells inside of us right now, Jesus says, reminding us of the things that you taught us. Would he do that important work now in us as we hear from your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've spent about a month in the first major paragraph of Ephesians, and I feel like even then we've only barely scratched the surface of what we find here. God gives us enormous spiritual blessings in Christ. Ephesians 1 says he chooses us, he unites us to Jesus, he lavishes us with gifts, and this is all to the praise of his glory. This is all for his worship. We in Christ are wealthy beyond our wildest dreams because of what he has given to us. But you take those things, you read those things, and all of us can't help but compare who we're being described as, who we are in Ephesians chapter 1, and how we feel that we are here and now today. I've had some great conversations with many of you this week about the dissonance we feel between being joined to Christ and being lavished with these gifts and and hearing our identity in Ephesians 1, And then what it looks like to live out our lives practically, personally, day to day, week by week, and the things that we experience, feeling stuck in patterns of sin. Have any of you sensed the dissonance? You get this great description, but then you think, does this fit me? If Galatians 2.20 is true, I've been crucified with Christ, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, I've died to my former life and I live to Christ. Why does my new life look so much like my old life? Did I fully join to Christ? Am I fully united to him? Have I really died to my former life? Some of us are asking those questions. Why does this life look so much like my old life? And if that's not the question today, it will be the question tomorrow. What about the addictions that still dog me? What about suffering I can't anticipate, but it is coming? What will it do to my faith then? Or what if I begin to coast in apathy throughout my Christian life? Those are fantastic questions. I am so grateful for those who are willing to put a finger on those dynamics in our hearts because. When you ask those questions, it makes me think about those questions and it makes me think about the nature of my heart and it makes me think about the nature of salvation itself. Because at the core of those questions about the dissonance between who I'm being described as in Christ and how I feel in Christ is a question about salvation. How does this thing really work? Is this all God's work or is this some of my work? Or is there a division of duties between the two of us that will bring me from this point unto heavenly glory? Now to think about that that question about salvation, I want us to imagine the steps, the movements of salvation in Ephesians like a, a chain like links of a chain being joined together and stretching out. So we know from Ephesians that the chain of salvation, it begins before the foundations of the world. God knew us, God chose us. And we know from Ephesians that it extends for all eternity in heaven. That's where our salvation is going to be realized. I want us to think about each movement, each part, as a link in this chain that goes from eternity past to eternity future. If you picture it like a chain, all of us can agree that certain links of that chain are clearly unbreakable. I mean, you think about the way God describes himself as choosing us before the foundations of the world, and it seems like if there's any link of the chain that's not going to break, it's that one because it happens within God before creation even exists. Surely that's unbreakable. You think about the movement and salvation of God sending his own son, Jesus, in the fullness of time. We know that's unbreakable because God's going to do what he says he's going to do. We also know it's unbreakable because it's already happened. Jesus has come in the fullness of time. That is not a weak link of the chain. And we know, verse 7, that when Jesus dies on the cross and he can now offer this free offering of redemption, forgiveness of sins, grace that that's another unbreakable link of the chain because nobody can undo the offer that Jesus is making in and of himself. When you think about salvation that way, you see that God has done his part and his part stretches behind us to eternity past and there's not a single weak link in that chain and there's nothing about God's choosing through God's offering that could possibly be Broken, right? I think most of us could agree on that. Here's where the chain of salvation gets really, really flimsy. When we're introduced into the story of salvation. When we begin to play a part in salvation. Verse 13 and 14 puts a lot of weight on us, you and me, hearing the gospel, believing in Jesus and walking with him until that final judgment day. It feels like there's been a shift in the building materials. Up until now, it's been steel, and God's part can't be broken. But the moment it comes to us and the caliber of my faith and my ability to walk with Jesus and trust in him with all sincerity, we're no longer building with steel here, we're building with plastic. My links in the chain look really, really Brittle. There are some mornings I wake up and I wonder is any of this true? Does God really exist? And if He does, does He really send His Son? And if He has, is He really the only way of salvation? And in those moments, I realize just how flimsy, how wispy, how brittle my faith really truly is deep inside of myself and if on those days of doubts the devil came or my sin came or an extra measure of suffering came and it took like a real hard tug on that chain of salvation I know that God's part is not going to break But I'm worried about my own. Will I still believe? Will I still walk? Will I still endure? What is the nature of the chain of salvation? It won't be election. It won't be Jesus, it won't be the cross, it won't be judgment day, it won't be the new heavens and the new earth. If anything breaks on that chain, it's going to be me and my faith and my endurance. I will break and I will lose and forfeit my salvation. That's our fear when it comes to the Christian life. That's our fear in the movements of salvation. We're not doubting that God is able to do his part. We're doubting that we are going to fulfill our end of salvation. If you've ever thought that, feared that, worried about that, then Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 is God's word to you this morning. This is a word directly from God to your heart in the middle of that fear. We're going to take out those links that look like they're made of plastic and we're going to realize that they too are made of steel and cannot possibly be broken. Not because we're a group of wonderful people who have strong faith and will trust in Jesus through thick and thin, but because we don't have that, God has sent his Holy Spirit to do what we can't do. The Holy Spirit is the unbreakable link between what God has done and what we experience in the gospel. With that in mind, I want to say four things about the Holy Spirit from our two verses here, all of which apply to what we're talking about here. Number one, this Holy Spirit who's going to serve this purpose has always been promised to us. The Holy Spirit has always been promised to us. In fact, in verse 13, he is called the promised Holy Spirit. It was always God's intention that he was going to live inside of believers. What he did in the tabernacle and the temple of the Old Testament, he now does inside the individual Christian and the gathered church in the New Testament. We're going to read in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 21 and 22 that we the church gathered together are now the dwelling place of God's spirit. Now all the while in Ephesians 1 God has made a very big deal that he has a plan for the fullness of time that he is enacting in creation. And I'm always amazed when I read through my Bible cover to cover which has been told by a very diverse group of people who have contributed to this Bible, who span different continents, different languages, different millennia, that whoever contributes to this Spirit-inspired book all tell one single, solitary, cohesive story. And in that story, whether it's told by Isaiah in Jerusalem in the 8th century B.C., or it's told by Ezekiel in Babylon 250 years later, or it's told by the prophet Joel somewhere in between, God promises to do something at Pentecost we couldn't have believed if we heard it ourselves in Isaiah's day. When you trust in Jesus, when he cleans your hearts, when you are born again, God himself, for whom the heavens cannot contain, he comes and he makes his dwelling place inside of you. That's the promised Holy Spirit. And that has always been God's plan. Number one, he's always planned this, and he's always promised this. Number two, the Holy Spirit fills us In Christ. We talked a lot about union with Christ, being joined to Christ in Christ. Last week from Ephesians, beginning in verse 13, it's no surprise that all of this is possible. The Spirit coming to live inside of us is because of our union with Christ, in Christ. All the gifts that flow from God begin with Christ and reach us in the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, the next two points we're going to make is that the Holy Spirit becomes our seal and our pledge, but before we talk about that, I want you to see the beautiful triple redundancy in these paragraphs in Ephesians. We are already chosen by God. We have already been united to Christ And now we have been promised that the Holy Spirit fills us as a sign and a seal. That's three promises, three members of the Trinity, one unbreakable reality. You and I are immutably God's possession. The entire Trinity is at work to see this happen. Your are joining to Christ and staying with Christ is not plastic. It cannot be changed because it comes to us in the person of Christ. The Spirit's been promised to us. He comes to us in Christ. Number three, the Holy Spirit is our seal. Look at verse 13. Verse 13, it says, we are sealed with the Spirit. And then in verse 14, it says, he's the guarantee of our inheritance. So you've got seal and you've got guarantee, two different words with uh, two different visuals behind them and two slightly different emphases. The first that we're talking about, a seal, comes to us to speak about judgment. And the second word, the guarantee or the pledge, comes to us to speak about our inheritance. So let's talk first about the Holy Spirit as our seal. Verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed. Now, you see that word salvation there in verse 13, the gospel of your salvation, and then you believed in him, and you were sealed. And we use the word salvation, and we use the word saved So much in the church, I think it loses its ring and we forget the dark shadow that comes with the word saved. And so I think sometimes it's helpful to switch the word saved with words like rescued, delivered, and liberated because all of those words beg the question, saved, liberated, rescued from what? What am I being saved from? What's the bad news that makes salvation the good news? And the answer, of course, in Scripture is the just wrath of God for our sin. Every human being has committed treason against God. Every human being has rebelled against God. Every human being deserves eternal capital punishment, which is separation from God for all eternity. In hell, salvation is not the changing of our religions. It is being rescued from the pit of hell. It is being liberated from our sin. It is being redeemed and bought back from the power of evil. We are saved. This is our salvation. This is the good news of the gospel. When we trust in Christ alone for salvation, God then puts on us his Holy Spirit as our seal of deliverance. This is your sign, this is your seal that you have been saved, liberated, delivered from your sin. Now that word seal, that was used a lot in Paul's day, and it means what it would kind of mean in the medieval era or our day, and that's a stamp on letters as a sign of its authenticity. So you would receive a letter or you'd receive a ruling from the government Rome, and you could check that letter to make sure it's got a Roman seal on it, and if it does, it's authentic, and you better do what you find in it. Here, in our passage, Paul uses that same word, and he says, the seal of our authentic, the, the authenticity of our faith, the seal for that, how we know it's true, how we know it's genuine, is not the caliber of our faith. It's not the depth of our faith. It's not because we have a reputation as a faithful person. It's not because our faith is adorned with so much knowledge. We know the the Bible better than other people. The authenticity of our faith is none of those things that we actually find in the person's faith itself. It is in the Holy Spirit living inside of us. You understand that and it turns the question of assurance of salvation completely on its head because it's not a question about you and what you bring to the table with your faith. It's a question about God and the merit of his Holy Spirit living inside of you. Now, sometimes when I'm sharing the gospel with somebody, Um, I like to ask the question. Some of you have used this same question. It's a good question. If you were to die today, God was to return today, and you were to stand before him, what would you say? Why would God allow you into heaven? And that's a good question to ask because I find that a lot of people, even people who say that they're a Christian and they try to attend church when they can, will say something like, well, God should let me into heaven because I really, I really, truly try to be a good person. And I try to do what's right and I try to obey. And that's a great moment in the conversation to open up Romans 6.23 and places like it to talk about the difference of a gift of salvation versus a wage of sin. And it's a, a great conversation to be had. In reality, we don't know exactly what Judgment Day will look like. We get a bunch of different pictures in the Bible, and it's hard to put them together in chronological order to know exactly what is going to happen. But we do know, based on passages like ours, that unlike that question I'm asking... We will not be received into heaven based on the eloquence of how we can answer that question before God. It's almost as if God looks past the the fumbling explanation of the gospel and why I should be received because I trust in Jesus alone. And he sees his Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. And that is the seal and he says this person is authentic and he receives us to himself because he dwells inside of us. That is the Holy Spirit. That is our seal. That is our hope of salvation. The Spirit's been promised. He's been given to us because we're united to Christ. He is our seal, which means he will be the sign of our deliverance on that last day. And fourth and finally, the Holy Spirit is our pledge. Verse 13 says, The Spirit was our seal. Verse 14 says, He is the guarantee of our inheritance. So if seal emphasized judgment, guarantee emphasizes gaining an inheritance. And that word guarantee essentially means a pledge or a down payment. So get this. This is incredibly wild. God, in his incredible kindness, forgives us of our sins. He makes us clean. He joins us to Jesus. He gives us the seal of his Holy Spirit, and he is still not finished with us. Of his own accord, he treats the giving of his Holy Spirit as a down payment of good things that are in store for the believer. By giving his Holy Spirit, if if you can say this without blasphemy, God in heaven obligates himself to us. It's God's way of saying when you're born again and baptized into this church, look, all I have on hand is my Holy Spirit. That, that's the best I can do right now. I can live inside of you and give you the fruit of the Spirit and, and seal you for the day of redemption. That... That's kind of like a down payment. That's what I got on hands. But better things are in store. And the fact that you have this thing makes you know that you're going to get that thing. I-, I promise I'm going to make good on my debt to you. Is that not incredible to use the word pledge for us? To have the Holy Spirit is God's promise. It's his pledge it is his engagement ring to us that he will make good on his promise take a step back to where we were at the beginning of this service we were asking about the the chain of salvation what's god's part what's our part what are the strongest links what are the weakest links The chain begins with God, it ends with God, but it sure looks like it features us in the center when we come to faith and when we trust in him and we try our darndest to walk with him. But if that's the case, we all know that when the devil or sin or suffering comes and pulls on that kind of chain, it will be us, our link that breaks, and we will lose or forfeit our salvation. But now that we've spent a little more time in Ephesians we understand that that is not possibly how this chain is being built. God having literally moved mountains in creation that climaxes in the sending of his son and joining him to us is not biting his fingernails in hopes that our faith will stick and that we will endure to the end, that we will really, truly believe and stay the course in our salvation. Because God is not in the business of handing out engagement rings and then being left standing at the altar on the last day. That ain't going to happen. What God begins in salvation, he proves true in salvation, and he celebrates in salvation because this chain from start to middle to finish is his doing, his work in Christ and you will no sooner lose your salvation, forfeit your salvation, than the Holy Spirit who has been placed inside of you himself will break as a link of the chain. That will not happen. What God begins, he will finish. Glory, glory, glory be to God. Let's pray together. Father, anytime we get this perspective of salvation, we just feel really, really small. We thought we had more to do with the beginning and the middle of the end, and we're giving up more and more ground, and you're taking more and more responsibility. But if we have eyes to see, that's the best news we could possibly hear. This is all you. This is all grace. Blessed be the name of the Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.